Doesn't it drive you mad when you see a load of rubbish, an old fridge, a mattress dumped at the entrance to a field in the middle of the country? Imagine what it feels like for the farmer who has to deal with it. We want to catch those people. Then call us on the three nines. Call us 999 and, and tell us where you are. Tell us what you've seen. Give us as much information as possible and we will respond. Now, the police are doing their best, but they need our help. It is a big problem and it has been going on for a very long time. And I don't just mean months, I mean years. Fly tipping is an ever-present problem, but it seems to be on the increase again. That's our main item today, but we'll also hear, as usual, from agronomist Sean Sparling, and we'll welcome David Brown from Open Field this week as Kit's on holiday at home, with a look at the markets and prices a little later, and we'll hear how the Sugar Beet campaign is doing and find out what to do if you're in need of a little practical or emotional help in these strange times in which we find ourselves. Good morning. I'm Steve Orchard. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hope you've had a good week. It's been a bit chilly, but it's been dry, even to the point where some rain wouldn't go amiss. I'll have a look at the week's weather forecast at the end of the programme. First, a quick look at this week's farming headlines. Two major supermarkets have committed to supply British during the COVID-19 crisis, with Aldi launching a value range of British-produced Wagyu steaks and Waitrose launching a number of initiatives to support its most vulnerable suppliers at this time. NFU President Minette Batters says there are a lot of positive signs that British workers are keen to work on farms and may fill the gap in this summer's supply of fruit and veg pickers. We spoke to Labour Group Concordia a couple of weeks ago about this and they're still open to applicants from the UK as part of their Feed the Nation campaign with the organisations Hops and Fruitful. And the Lincolnshire Young Farmers County Chairman's Charity Ball was due to take place on Saturday. Like so many other events, it's sadly fallen victim to coronavirus. But the YFC have asked me to say a big thank you to those organisations who are standing by their pledges to donate cash, auction items and raffle prizes. And we'll be speaking to Cat Knight from the Lincolnshire YFC in more detail about their fundraising, their social activities and how they're helping their members at the moment on next week's farming programme. So, what do you do with that old fridge, those worn tyres, that bag of rubbish that the bin men won't take? Well, the responsible amongst us take it to the council tip and dispose of it properly. But those tips are closed at the moment, so what are you going to do? Well, hold on to it for the duration, or contact the council if it's a big item and get their advice. But more and more people seem to be just going out into the country and dumping it when no one's looking. For farmers, it's an increasing problem. Dealing with it, at least in the first instance, is their responsibility. It's a subject that rears its very ugly head on a regular basis, sadly, and seemingly more so at the moment. Is that down to the public tips being closed? Is it laziness? Or is there something more sinister behind it? Who bears the cost? And what can the police do about it? Can we, the general public, do anything to prevent fly tipping? To answer those questions, welcome Chief Inspector Phil Vickers from Lincolnshire Police and farmer Andrew Ward. Andrew, as a farmer, this is a real problem for you, isn't it? Yeah, it it is, and it is a big problem, and it has been going on for a very long time, and I don't just mean months, I mean years, and and, uh, it is a huge issue. And obviously the countryside is an easy place to drive into and and just get rid of freezers and fridges and tyres and all that sort of thing. But we're the ones that have to pick it up, count the cost of disposing of it. And if it's on our our land, we have to dispose of it. But it is a nightmare when often 
you have to move rubbish from a field gateway to actually access your field to get on with your day-to-day farming operations. Phil, is this just a countryside thing? And is it getting worse? We do know that fly-tipping is different around the country. So, for example, uh, police forces that that surround London and the metropolitan areas do see it on an industrial scale, organised crime groups involved. What we tend to see in Lincolnshire is probably a smaller volume, um, but I think it's fair to say that we've seen an increased number of, of incidents occurring around the county. Would you put that down to coronavirus and public tips being closed? Uh, I think it's down to a number of different issues. We've certainly had reports of unlicensed carriers offering to dispose of of, of waste items um, to to householders. So people going door to door and offering to to help clear away uh, rubbish, maybe from gardens or or where people have been doing work around their home. Uh, And and those unlicensed carriers are disposing of of the waste, uh, sometimes in uh, rural areas, in, in field entrances. So um, so th- there may be some link into um, the closure of, of the waste disposal sites, but, but actually I think, I think we're seeing some opportunist criminals that, that, that are t- making the most of the, of the situation. Andrew, what sort of stuff gets dumped on your land? The two common things we have really are fridges and freezers. Um, I suppose white goods in a way, you'd call it white goods, but fridges and freezers and tyres. Are, are, the, are the biggest culprits and of course the problem with with tires are we're going along we're cutting our dikes um in in the autumn when we're allowed to do it and you get a tire picked up in in the uh, head of, a, of a, a flail mower and it either does a lot of damage or it takes you an awful lot of time and a lot of ripped hands and getting it out but but they're, they're the common things and also at the minute now we're getting bags of rubbish um, just you know, normal black bin liners um, uh, that are, are dumped in dikes and are not often in, in inaccessible areas. They're in on the sides of, of main roads. You'll just see a heap that somebody's just dumped out in the middle of the night. And Phil mentioned unlicensed carriers. Is this an area where we can play a part in prevention? If a household or any member of the public has somebody knock at their door and say, well, oh, I see you've got um, uh, some rubbish wants to, wants to getting rid of. We'll, we'll take it away for so, or charge you this amount. What, there's a few simple steps what they need to do. And the first thing is they need to ask that person um, if they have a waste carrier's license, uh, license that's uh, is registered with the Environment Agency. And it's very easy to check that because they can all be checked online. So that's the first thing to do. And then also that person taking your rubbish away um, also needs to give you a duty of care waste transfer note to prove that you've given them the responsibility to take care of your rubbish legally. Now, the, the reason we want that is that so that if that rubbish then turns up in my field or my gateway or a farmer's field or some other property, and that householder's name and address is on some envelopes or something in there, if you have been proved that you have given that person responsibility to look after that rubbish, that's proof that it's not you that's dumped it, it's somebody else. But if that, doesn't, if that paperwork trail isn't there, then that rubbish can be traced back to a certain household and, and obviously that household then find. Whereas if you've got this duty of care um, certificate and if this, you've got a waste carrier's licence um, uh, notification from these people that you can prove that you didn't dump it there, you handed the responsibility of the rubbish over to someone else. 
And I think that is really, really crucial because there's quite a lot of evidence is found in these piles of, of uh, bin liners that we're finding on roadsides. And obviously, if it, if it is a fraudster at the door, they're not going to have this certification, are they? No, they won't. That's right. So if, if they haven't got one, you just say no. You know, as much as you might want your rubbish to go away and to be cleared from your, your dustbin or your backyard or wherever it'll fall back on you if it's found, because you'll be the one that'll be prosecuted. But it's not just the professional criminals, is it, Phil? It's surely just as illegal for an ordinary householder to dump a bag of rubbish or anything else at the side of the road. Yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, we, we we will investigate. We work with the, the district councils, and um, it is illegal, clearly, for, for somebody to dispose of waste in that way. And, and, you know, the vast, vast majority of people would find that abhorrent and, and wouldn't want to be involved in that kind of thing. But um, it it's really important, again, that if you come across fly tipping, that it's reported timely, that, that you know, there's contact with the district council if there's nobody there. And that gives us all the best chance of identifying those people responsible. Phil, it's not a criticism, but police resources in a rural county are spread pretty thinly at the best of times. What can the police realistically do to catch those responsible? Yeah, I, I think that this is a longer-term issue. So um, this isn't purely the police. Um, Lincolnshire Police are, are part of the Lincolnshire Waste Partnership, which is, which is led by the county council. All seven of the district councils are part of that same partnership. So we work together, and, and the scrap initiative that, that we're all part of, um, again, that's a, a national uh, scheme which, which learns from good practice around the country. So there are things that we can do. Um, and, and we would say to, to any of your listeners that um, if you see uh, uh, fly tipping anywhere around the county, then if you see somebody actively doing it, call the police. We will absolutely respond to it. It's a crime in progress um, and, and it would be treated in the same way as, as any other. Um, uh, if you find uh, signs of uh, fly tipping, of, of waste that has been disposed of in a public place and, and there's no sign of the person who's responsible, then it would be about contacting the district council. The local district council take responsibility under those circumstances. Uh, in terms of investigating, we work with all of the agencies. In fact, this morning we were we're talking to the Environment Agency about a, a proactive operation that we're going to be involved in because we know that, as I say, criminals are, are making use of, of this particular time. Uh, so, so there are opportunities, there are things that we can do. And if I was to see fly tipping, rubbish being dumped, is it a 999 call? Absolutely, it is. If it's a crime in progress and we want to catch those people, then call us on the three nines. Call us 999 and, and tell us where you are, tell us what you've seen, give us as much information as possible and we will respond. You know, those are the circumstances where the police have a, an, an immediate responsibility to, to catch the people responsible. Uh, it, it's only if you come across the, the signs of fly tipping and there's nobody present, that's when it, it falls to the district council. Andrew, as a farmer, fly tipping is a pain for you, but we need to consider the wildlife too, don't we? Are they in danger? If you've got metals and nails and sharp objects, uh, we're, we're always trying to do everything we can for wildlife and to help them and give them an easy time. Um, the last thing you want is to, is to make it difficult with having all this, this waste and, and damaging material there that they can injure themselves on. Are the police doing enough in your eyes, Andrew? I actually think they are. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Lincolnshire Police. I, I, I know quite a lot of them within the force. I have quite a lot uh, to do with the Operation Galileo hair coursing scheme that, that, that is running, and that's a hugely successful scheme. And, and I think the police are doing really all they can. Um, the, the biggest problem we have is that the local council tips have been shut uh, through funding, which is nothing to do with the police. That's to do with funding from, from government. And obviously there was a tip closed that led them only, only sort of three years ago. 
Um, so I think, in, in my view, the police are doing all they can. Um, it, it, it's the actual um, fines and regulations that need to come from higher up that, that councils uh, need to impose um, and uh, on, on when, when rubbish is fined. Um, but I, I think it's maybe the organised things. We need a few more cameras around, uh, security cameras, and we need a few more cameras about and, and to, to sort of on well-known hotspot areas to get evidence because you, you can't beat that if, uh, if you can do that. I have a feeling, sadly, this is not going to go away in the short term, but clearly there are things that we can all do to help stamp out fly tipping and catch those responsible. Many thanks to Andrew Ward and Chief Inspector Phil Vickers. Time for agronomy. Sean Sparling, morning to you. Weather looking okay for you? Yes, good morning, Steve. A wonderful week of weather. Some rain for some last weekend. As I sit and record this on Friday morning, there really hasn't been any rain at home for me. I've had nothing at all this month, but between 7 and 12 millimetres of rain in the Woodhall Spa area and around there, if they were fortunate enough on Sunday to grab that thunderstorm that went through. Um, But we get what we get. We know that. There's no point moaning about the weather. Um, You know, it's wetter underneath the, the surface than it has been last year. And if you remember last spring, we'd only had 17 mil of rain in January, 17 mil of rain in February, we took 38 mil in March, then we took 17 again in in April. So it's a very, very dry start to 2019 spring. Different this spring. We've had a lot more wet in January and February, so it is potentially wetter underneath. And for those people that have managed to drill crops, spring wheat, spring barley, peas, beans, sugar beet, into that moisture, it's certainly struck and away it goes. And we'll come on to that in a minute. But we're going to get two crops in most fields. The ones that struck the moisture and the ones that are still sitting in dust. And remember, um, you're going to get more out of most farms in a dry year than you will in a wet year. Remember back, 2011 was a stonking year. It was a very, very hot, dry summer. Very good harvest. 2014, last year. 2018, very, very good harvest off dry summers and dry years. You get the wet years and they are not good. So 2007, 2012, poorest harvest I've experienced in recent years. Both very wet years. So we get what we get. There's no point moaning about the weather. So let's start with oilseed rape. It's nice and dry out there. So people are saying we don't need to put a fungicide on, but there is light leaf spot out there if you look. There is alternaria out there if you look. And as these crops start to flower, the aim of a fungicide now is to try and coat those petals with a protectant fungicide so that when they drop off, if they stick to the stem through heavy dews and the dew is enough for that to happen, that you don't then get the opportunity for botrytis and grey moulds to establish, which in turn lets in the sclerotinia, and that's where you get a problem. So you're trying to coat the top. Forget about pollen beetles now in the flowering crops because they're doing good. They're pollinating, and there aren't that many predators out there. The numbers are starting to build, but the pollinators and the predators are very, very slow this spring. The last dose of nitrogen wants to go on that rate while you can still travel through if you haven't already been through. Winter wheat, winter barley. Now's the time for T0s. Rusts out there everywhere, sectoria everywhere, stem-based disease out there. You're trying to protect that little canopy ready for leaf three emergence, which is going to happen over the next two or three weeks. Remember, it's all down to temperature now, filicron. You take your maximum day temperature, remove 10 degrees off that, keep what's left and add it up until you get to around about the 75 mark and that will be a leaf emerge. So if you've got days of 13 or 14 degrees, it takes 20 to 25 days to get a leaf emerge. If you've got days like we've had this week, with 23s and 24s that another leaf can be out in a week so it just needs monitoring but 
when that leaf three is emerging, that's when you put your main T1 fungicide on. I did leave a ticket on Wednesday for a T1 to go on some early September drilled winter wheat that's moving like hell. Um, but we won't be putting that on until the back end of next week. Um, Sulfonyl urea is working very, very slowly in general out there. Very, very dry for them. I think we'll get a flush of rubbish once we do finally get a rain out there. But you just have to make a call on these SUs as to whether you leave them out until you go through at T1. Growth regulators... If you put them on during the tillering stage, so the trinexapax and the chlormaquats, if you put them on while the crop is tillering, allegedly they will increase tillering and boost root. Rolling will do a similar job, but just watch the weathers out there. And there are a number of aphids, high numbers of aphids out there, higher than I've seen for a number of spring. But remember, there's a lot of fallow fields which have got volunteer wheat and volunteer barley in, and so that is acting as a host and a green bridge. So you just have to make a call out there in the field. If you're finding virus vectors, barley yellow, dwarf virus uh, vectors so rose grain aphid grain aphid bird cherry oat aphid you have to make a call as to whether the predators are doing it or whether you need to step in that's what ipm is all about spring wheat spring barley again staggered emergence those bits that went into moisture are growing away those that are sat in dust are still sat in dust so we'll end up with two crops out there um slugs as well finding a few slugs a lot of evidence of slugs out there on some spring wheat on some heavy land after oilseed rape on wednesday so if i need to put slug pellets on i'm going to use ferrous phosphate not metaldehyde because the ferrous phosphate are only toxic to slugs and snails they're completely innocuous to ground nesting birds if your dog manages to get hold of some they won't hurt them but metaldehyde will so steer away from the metaldehyde peas and beans i said a couple of weeks ago the weevils are higher levels than i've ever seen i've actually got some volunteer beans in some wheat fields and i'm not spraying them off because the weevils are actually decimating them and doing the job for me so emerging crops of peas and beans are at highest risk monitor those if they're slow to emerge and they're getting hammered you may need to step in and help them sugar beet once again dry seed beds mean the beet is generally slow a lot of people have got it into moisture so the beet is coming through and the weeds are a lot slower because they're sat in that layer of dust so patience is a virtue really take care around any frost and don't spray sugar beet herbicides in temperatures above 21 degrees celsius simply because they just don't work as efficiently and you want to get the most out of them as you possibly can and if you have desmedifam containing products in the shed, you have to use those up by the 1st of July. So the last nitrogen on the oilseed rape should have gone on. It's too early for the late, the main big nitrogen dose on winter wheat in the main. You want that at growth stage 31, 32. Um, malting spring barley you need all of your nitrogen on by early tillering the sugar beet the second dose to top it up to 120 kilos goes on at peri-emergence which is then the cotyledons are fully expanded and you can see the buds of the new leaves we've got buds potatoes going in vining peas going in linseed spring rape spring oak it's all kicking off out here so let's see what the next seven days bring Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services, many thanks as ever. Lots of information from Sean this week, particularly a very busy time. A reminder, you can listen again on the podcast, which will be on the website or the app or wherever you get your podcasts from just after the end of the programme. In a moment, we'll get the latest on the sugar beet campaign and a market update from Openfield and remind ourselves that if you're finding it a little difficult to cope at the moment, help is available. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. We're at the end of the current sugar beet campaign and the start of the new one. Let's find out how it went with Simon Leeds of British Sugar. Hi, Steve. Hope you're well. Very well, thank you, Simon. And you? Good. No, in these strange times. So, uh, <laughs> But uh, life continues in the world of uh, farming and sugar. And uh, 
feeding the nation, which is uh, which is so important. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Last weekend, uh, we saw the end of the 1920 campaign in New York. It was certainly uh, a long one, and it's uh, one to remember on several counts. Before that, though, I just want to uh, get into a bit more detail. I just want again to say a massive thank you to all the growers, contracts, and hauliers who have worked, you know, incredibly tirelessly throughout, uh, you know, with, with incredibly challenging conditions to deliver sugar beet through us uh, to us over the duration of the campaign. It's quite normal to get a wet period during the campaign, but things then normally dry out and you carry on. What's been different this year was just the sheer relentlessness of the rain, and it never actually really stopped. You know, we'd get maybe a week of dry, and then it would just carry on again. So we were hand-to-mouth in terms of supply to the factory for the whole campaign. So you know, a huge thank you for what I know has been uh, really difficult for a lot of people. In terms of crop performance, this year didn't disappoint. It was actually a really good year. Uh, so that was that was great. While sugar content was not as high as perhaps normal, we averaged 16.8% of the campaign. We actually delivered, or you guys out there delivered, an adjusted yield uh, to Newark. It was actually a record for the factory, uh, 72.07 adjusted tonnes per hectare. And just to bring that to life for people, that equates to over 12,000 bags of sugar per hectare. So uh, an incredible amount of sugar um, being delivered to us, which is fantastic. My colleagues in the factory have done an incredible job extracting the sugar from the beet and turning it into crystal and dispatching it to our you know, all-important customers. And this has been all the more challenging recently with the onset of the uh, coronavirus. Our priority as a food processor is to keep our customers supplied We've taken massive steps in the factory and across the business to do this. Teams in the factory have been split up and we've reduced the skeleton staff wherever possible and are clearly following all the government advice on social distancing and hygiene. So it's been really difficult for those guys, but they've kept going and, uh, you know, continue to supply customers. Responding to empty supermarket shelves, I'm delighted to report that last week, colleagues of mine delivered nearly half a tonne of sugar to local food banks. And I know that that was gratefully received. Looking forward to the new crops now largely drilled. And it's been great to have a sustained period of drying weather to allow soils to actually dry, to allow an unbroken drilling window for all spring crops, including sugar beet. And uh, last but not least, to actually allow the last of the beet crop to be lifted and delivered. So it was great to see you know, that dry towards the end of the campaign to actually allow people to get crops into us. It is a bit first perverse, though, now that after the wet winter, Dare I say it, we could actually do with some rain. At this point, some seedbeds have dried perhaps a little too much. But again, this is a legacy of the wet winter and not being able to plough um, early enough in the autumn. As last year, it will be key for growers to monitor their crops for aphids and to keep abreast of all the latest information and advice from BBRO in terms of control strategies. And as always, do please make full use of your local contract manager. They're there to help you and advise you on all aspects of the sugar beet crop. And finally, please stay safe in these most extraordinary times. Cheers, Steve. Thanks, Simon. Simon Leeds of British Sugar will have another update in the middle of next month on the farming programme. Now, lockdown is stressful for any number of reasons. Money, children, boredom, 
How are you coping in yourself in the current very strange circumstances in which we find ourselves? Just a quick reminder, and I make no apology for mentioning it again, that help, practical and emotional, is available from the Lincolnshire Rural Support Network, the LRSN, and the chaplaincy. Friend of the farming programme, agricultural chaplain Alan Robson. I I think everybody recognises this is a crazy time, but somehow we've got to work our way through it. And... Lincolnshire Rural Support Network and my chaplaincy are up and running and endeavouring to carry on as best we can as usual with all the safeguards. All our services are there, except our nursing service with the markets uh, being closed. And we've come up with a, a, a sort of a strap line to get us through this together, um, back on track together. Uh, Jilly Steele, our mental health and well-being lead, has got a video on our website, uh, which is worth listening to. Um, Jilly wants to speak of that, getting on back, uh, getting back on track together. Um, so it'd be great for people to see that film and to take note of our uh, helpline number, which we are extending: 0800 13. 81 0800 13 8171 0 and um, we want people to feel that um, they can contact us and I think the chaplaincy and Lincolnshire Rural Support are, are filling a unique space you know, every service is stretched but we're here um, in a unique way to meet the needs of the farming, farm workers, you know, the wider industry uh, that supports agriculture. So business as usual, helping everyone to get back on track together, and um, we will. And as you say, Alan, you, you're obviously not getting out and about at the moment. Just give me that uh, website address again and the helpline number, if you would. The website is www.lrsn.co.uk. And to get the video, go to our blog, and our help number is 0800 13 81 71 naught. 0800 138 1710. Alan, thank you so much for that. You stay safe. You too. Cheers. Cheers. Let's turn our attention to the markets now with Open Field. Kit's on holiday, so David Brown stepped into the breach. Morning, David. Good morning, Steve. An extremely volatile time at present for the UK, EU and the world, to say the least, of the grain industry at present. The UK market has risen and come back £15 on the back of the COVID-19 outbreak, with the May-London futures reaching 166 at its recent highs on the 23rd of March, and at the time of writing the report, trading back to 151 pre-outbreak levels. We have seen large demand fluctuations from panic buying to demand destruction in food service, and the beverage industry, and alongside this, large currency swings and volatility affecting values. The USDA report published on the 9th of March illustrated large global ending stocks higher than expected and remaining at record levels with demand for corn being cut substantially relating to lower ethanol production due to COVID-19. Strategy Grains published their report on the 16th of April with a seemingly bearish global view to wheat, barley and maize, due to lower demand easing the S&D, enormous inventories on the horizon for barley, and an extremely heavy outlook for global maize 
assuming plantings match expectations. In short, at present, not a friendly forecast if all comes to pass at this stage, despite the fact that closer to home, Europe has reduced wheat production, and of course especially wheat in the UK, with Strategy Grain putting the UK at 9.89 million tonnes, potentially the lowest since 1978, and putting barley down only slightly against this year at 8 million tonnes. The UK will at this stage trade at import parity for wheat and export parity for barley, hence a large difference between the two at present. Imported milling wheat and maize are already being bought by the end user for next year. Weather will inevitably play its part, and a watch on dryness in the Baltic states is a must at this stage and may temper the bearish mood. Politics are as uncertain as ever, with the China-Trump trade deal still live, and any reaction to that could see markets turn quickly as well as when we see the back of COVID-19. Old crop UK values have come under pressure with limited demand at present for May and more sellers at present, although June and July are still some way off and there is a lot to be played out still, especially when noting the spread from old crop to new crop. Values, depending on geography, feed wheat spot values are between £146 and £148 extra farm. Milling wheat spot values are between 170 and 172 x a farm, with November stroke December feed values around 160 pounds x a farm. Feed barley is all about existing port execution at present, especially along the east coast. Although feed barley is getting tighter, it is the malting barley lack of demand that is pressuring the values in the UK and the EU at present. Currency is extremely important, and with stronger sterling versus the euro at present, the limited time now before new crop in the EU, the window of opportunity is closing. Until we know its place in the S&D with an expected exportable surplus and Brexit uncertainty until the 31st of December, new crop values at present expect to be pressured at harvest. Feed barley is worth around £135 delivered port at present. Malting barley. Markets remain very quiet with maltsters suffering from a drop-off in demand from breweries and everyone trying to forecast future demand and longer-term implications. The increase in spring plantings could add to a weighty feel for the malting barley balance sheet if the crop is realised. Prices are on application. Oilseed rate. Pressure has come from the lack of demand due to COVID-19. Crude oil prices pressured to 20-year lows due to the persistent oversupply and collapsing demand due to the lockdowns. Maize has fallen to the lowest level in three and a half years as weekly ethanol output has set a record low. Must watch dry weather impact on the EU and the South America but lack of sellers on both old and new crop is giving some underlying support. Prices on application. In this market, with values moving so swiftly, please speak with your open field buyer for the latest values and market information. Thanks, David. David Brown from Openfield. So we've had a pretty dry week. Indeed, some parts of the country have not had a drop of rain in April. Is that set to continue? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, there is some rain on the way, but not a lot. Winds are starting to shift from the east, which tends to bring drier weather. A settled week in prospect with some sunshine and temperatures in the mid-teens for the most part. Today will be mostly dry with a light wind from the east, highs 15 to 16 Celsius and down to 6 Celsius overnight. The wind stays easterly for the rest of the week, a little bit gusty on Monday into Tuesday, but easing off and becoming calm by the end of the week. 
Monday looks clear and sunny, but with highs only up to 11 or 12 Celsius. Similar on Tuesday, getting a little bit warmer by Wednesday with highs of 13. Thursday and Friday will see temperatures up to 16 or 17 Celsius and staying clear, sunny and dry. Nighttime lows of 5 to 7 Celsius. That's it from us for this week. A reminder that the Farming Programme Listen Again service is on the website and the app or from wherever you get your podcasts. Have a good farming week. I'm Steve Orchard. Stay safe.